come from Hebrews. From Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read verses 11 through 25. Hebrews 10, 11 through 25. I invite you to follow along with me in your own personal Bible or, or your pew Bible in front of you or on the back of your order of worship. Reading from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 25. And every priest stands day after day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting for it that until his enemies will be made a footstool under his feet. For a single offering has been perfected for all time for those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. In those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their heart, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins no more, and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness for these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sacrifice by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with the true heart, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Let our bodies be washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you have ever in your life been a child, which I'm assuming most of you have, I do have a friend who I joke with who was born at age 55, so maybe you're that person. But if you've ever, at any point in your life, ever been a child, you have received from your parents or from your grandparents or from your teachers the look. And you know what I'm talking about. You've gotten the look at some point in your life, I'm assuming. If you have not gotten the look at some point in your life, you have given the look at some point in your life. Tim basically looks at me with a look at all times. Pretty much all the time. That, yeah, right. I'm getting it right now. I don't know if you can see it, but, I, but I'm getting it right now. The best time Tim gave me the look was one time a few months back when I was preaching intersection. And on the Sundays when I preach intersection and I'm not preaching at 830, I, I tend to get in trouble. I need something to do or else I will get in trouble. So I'm sitting there just kind of you know, kind of be bopping around before 8.30 service. And I, and I had a great idea implanted in my mind by the devil or by Chris Wells, either way. Um, he said, you need to go put on a robe and go get in the choir loft. I'm like, ooh, that's a great idea. So I go put on a robe and I get in the choir loft. This is what my plan was going to be. I was going to robe up, walk in the choir loft. Tim was going to give me the look and then everybody would laugh and I would leave. That was my plan. So I robe up, I get in the choir loft Oh, Mike's not here. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Mike Cocker wouldn't let me leave. He's like, no, you got to sing. And I'm like, you don't understand. I can't sing. So, you know, the dog never thinks about what he would do if he ever caught the car. I understand. I caught the car. 
I didn't want to catch the car. There was nothing worthwhile in catching the car. So there I am in the choir loft, robed up, and Mike is like, you know, like teaching a child to read, going word by word, in, you know, in the anthem. And I'm trying my best not to, because the choir works so hard, doing my very best not to destroy all their hard work. And finally we get done, and I heard Tim actually did give me the look after that. But I was so ready to get out of that choir loft that I ran out of there, took off the robe, and I'm afraid to even go in the choir room again now because I remember what happened. So we've all gotten the look at some point. There's another look we get sometimes, which isn't quite that bad. You ever looked at somebody and said, you up to something? I see it in your eyes. Some people have that spark. Typically, it's our kids, but not always. They get the little twinkle in their eyes when they're up to something. You don't know what, but you can look at them and tell, "Uh uh-huh, they up to something. We all know that little look of mischief that we see in others when we know they are up to something. We, We don't have to see what they're doing. We just know they're up to something. This week... We are reading in our, in our late service, in our service uh, from Hebrews. We've been in Hebrews this week. If you've been in our, our Rooted in Christ study, we've been in the book of Hebrews this week. Hebrews is an interesting book. In the New Testament, the large, a large portion of the New Testament are letters. The letters are interesting. Paul would write specific letters to specific people. So he would write a letter to the Galatians, and that was the book of Galatians. He would write a letter to Corinth, the Corinthians. He would write a letter to Timothy book of Timothy and 2 Timothy. He wrote specific letters to specific people about specific things. That's Paul's letters. But after Paul's letters, there's a section of letters called the Catholic letters. Catholic meaning universal. These are letters, some of which we know who wrote them, some of which we don't. And they were not written to a specific group of people about a specific thing. They were more general in nature to the church at large. So in Hebrews, we don't quite know who wrote Hebrews. But Hebrews is a letter written to Jewish believers, those that are well-versed in the Old Covenant and in the law and in the Old Testament. And so the entire book of Hebrews is the, the point of Hebrews is this. The writer's going, hey, the law is awesome, but Jesus is better. The priesthood is awesome, but Jesus is better. Angels are amazing, but Jesus is better. The book of Hebrews is over and over and over and over again going to everything in their faith and saying, yes, we affirm that that is great, but Jesus is better. So today we see the writer of Hebrews talking about the sacrificial system. And he's talking about how these sacrifices have been offered. They've been offered and they're great, but they don't fully atone for us in the same way that Jesus Christ atoned for us. Because when Jesus pays the price for our sins, they are completely and totally done away with. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is our mode of salvation and our mode of forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. He's saying here in the text today that there's, that there's, this earthly priest could not atone for what Jesus Christ has atoned for. You are forgiven. Your forgiveness is not because of what you've done. Your forgiveness is because of what Jesus has done. And so often, I had a conversation with somebody the other day that worked as a nurse in a, on a hospital. They talked about how many patients they had met with towards the end of their life, sat there asking, 
have I done enough? Have, have I done enough? Have I done enough in my life to be forgiven? Have I done enough in my life to go to heaven? Have I done enough to earn God's love? And so often in our life, we live our lives as a means to make God love us. And we always feel like, well, I've never done enough. I've never been good enough. I've never been faithful enough. I have never done enough to earn this. We spend our lives so often, if we're honest, as a means to try to make God love us. And we always feel like we fail to measure up. We never feel like we do enough. We never feel like we get it right. We always feel like there's one more thing I could be doing. There's one more act I could be doing. There's one more thing that I must be doing. When that is not the way that the Bible tells us we should live. Our lives are not meant to be lived as a way to earn God's love, but our life should be lived as a response to God's love. You are forgiven. Your sins have been atoned for. On the cross, Jesus Christ paid it all for your sins. You are forgiven. Your only response is to accept it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You simply have to accept what Jesus Christ has done for you. You have in your back pocket a lottery ticket. You just got to cash it. Our lives are not, should, be, should not be lived trying to earn God's forgiveness. Our lives should be lived as a response to God's forgiveness. If you sit here saying that there's one more thing that I must do to earn forgiveness, there's one more thing I must do to earn salvation, there's one more thing that I must do, then what you're saying is that me plus Jesus equals salvation, that me plus Jesus equals forgiveness. You're saying that Jesus Christ did not do enough when in the end he did all that we could ever need. We just have to accept it. But here's the problem. At least it is for me. We forget those things. So we know this on Sundays. You hear it preached on Sundays. You understand it on Sundays. And then you get to Monday. And then you go back to trying to earn it again. Then you go back to trying to make God love you again. We forget. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, Do not neglect the meeting together of the brethren. But instead, meet and remind each other. Remind each other what God's done. And then what he says is provoke one another to good deeds. Provoke each other to kindness. Provoke each other to mercy. We need each other to make us faithful. Not provoke each other like I provoke Tim all the time, which I do. And he hadn't gotten me too bad yet, but it's coming. But provoke each other to follow God. Provoke each other to love. Provoke each other to serve. Provoke each other to give grace. Provoke each other to acts of mercy and kindness. We cannot walk this road of faith alone. We cannot walk this journey alone. We need someone beside us provoking us to be faithful, inspiring us to be faithful, calling us to be faithful, carrying us when we can't carry each other, and loving us when we can't love each other. Provoke each other to acts of goodness.
and mercy and kindness. That's why he says don't neglect to meet together. We should be up to something. The world should look at us as the church like we got a twinkle in our eye. Like we're up to something. Like, like we're up to something. Like we're out there causing acts of kindness and mercy through Jesus Christ. The world should look at us like we got something up our sleeve. Something big and beautiful and gracious. The world should see Christ lived out through us. Provoke each other to acts of kindness and acts of mercy because we are forgiven. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that you are forgiven. And it's not something that you earn. It's something you receive. Jesus paid the totality for you. Our only job is to accept it. And as forgiven children of God, may we live out his grace and his mercy each day. Provoke each other to acts of kindness. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your love and mercy, which knows no ends. We thank you for your grace, which is new each day. Thank you for loving us and for saving us. We love you so much. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.